Well, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 while you're opening there. Uh, and I just was giving this note. Somebody's car in the parking lot with license plate H47HHF. Your lights are flashing out there. So I don't know what that means. I don't know whether it's ready to take off or what. But if that's your car, you might want to check that out. I'm going to share a message entitled Their Faith out of Mark chapter 2. I was uh, doing some uh, looking for some quotes and stuff. I came across this Peanuts cartoon I thought it was very good. And uh, so tell me what love is, Chuck? And, of course, uh, his response is a man called Jesus. Can you imagine that being in a newspaper today? <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, everything about life is about Jesus Christ. And uh, this passage we're going to read about uh, an event that took place because of people wanting to bring someone who needed healing into the presence of Jesus Christ, their faith. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came, I'm sorry, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up and let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose up, rose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, <clears throat> insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Isn't it great when God steps in and does something that's very unique that catches the attention of people? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Uh, we appreciate the grace of God, the mercy of God that's been extended to us that we can know how to be saved. And God, we're thankful that we can read this passage together and uh, Lord, uh, just glean some truths out of it that'll help us in our Christian life. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never been saved, that they might realize how much you love them and how much you have offered for them in sending your only son in this world to die on the cross, that they might be able to be saved through his sacrifice. And I pray they would come and receive Christ as their Savior. But bless us and speak to us. We'll give you the praise and glory for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. We know as we read through the passage, Jesus is once again coming back into the area of Capernaum. 
And as he's there, he is, as he's in the house, the word goes out and people hear the fact that Jesus is there. And certainly they had heard of the miracles and the power of God resting upon Christ and their curiosity drove them to the house. So much so, the Bible tells us here that the house was filled and there was no room for anyone else to be able to press in. And so these four friends of this man who had the palsy heard that Jesus was there, they took it upon themselves to bring him upon his bed to try to put him in front of Jesus Christ. The amazing thing is, is when they could not get into the house because of the crowd, uh, that they would go up onto the roof and break the roof up and let him down so he might be in the presence of Christ. And the response of Christ was simply, thy sins be forgiven thee. Why did he say that? Because he saw their faith. And I think sometimes we forget how powerful that God can do, move and do great things through us if we just have faith to believe him. Uh, many a person will be saved because of the fact you have faith to believe that they will be saved. Many people can be healed if we have faith to believe that they can be healed. They may not have much faith. They may not even know who Christ is, but I believe God will respond to our faith that we have. And that's what took place in this passage. Jesus didn't tell him their sins be forgiven because the man that was on the, the bed and had the sick, was sick of the palsy had great faith. He said, thy sins be forgiven because he saw the faith of his friends. And so we need to remind ourselves how powerful God can be just working through the faith that he gives us and enables us to experience. So I want to look at some things about their faith and uh, their response uh, this morning. First of all, notice their faith that made, gave them a concern for others, a concern for others. In verse 3, it says, And they came unto him, uh, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And so these men were coming there because they were concerned for their friend, concerned for others. And uh, God, well, I believe, will give us great faith as our faith grows in the Lord. It gives us the ability to truly be concerned for other people. I, I really don't know how you can be a Christian and live your life uh, that is a life of faith and not be concerned about the condition of other people. Uh, it's kind of hard to say I have faith in Christ and I have faith to believe that I'm saved and going to heaven, but I have absolutely no concern that others may not be going to heaven. And so their faith gave them a concern for others directly in reference to this man who had the sick, was sick of the palsy. And so notice their concern for others. They, they were willing to overcome the obstacles that was before them. They came to the house. The house was crowded with people, and but yet they were willing to overcome the obstacle that was before them. They had no other means of getting into the house other than ripping up the roof and letting them down, but that's all right. Their faith, they were so assured in their hearts that Jesus could do something miraculous in the, the life of their friend who was sick of the palsy that they were willing to face the obstacles and overcome the obstacles to be able to get him in the presence of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we allow things to block our way 
of moving ahead for God to move, do something in, in someone else's life. And we need to overcome the obstacles. I thought of the obstacle of fear. You know, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but yet many per people will not talk to someone about their faith in Christ because of they're afraid of their response. We're afraid of the world's response uh, to who we are and what we believe, and we need to overcome the obstacle of fear. In Proverbs, in chapter 29, in verse 25, tells us this, the fear of man bringeth a snare. And it goes on to say, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And so they had to overcome their fear of the crowd and the fear of the opportunity of getting them in front of Jesus Christ. And we need to overcome our fears that hinder us from moving ahead for uh, living our Christian life. Uh, because many people's lives, their, their life of salvation depends on the fact of us getting over being afraid to talk to them and being afraid of the world in which we live. And we're living in a world that is so intimidating, a world that is trying to stop every type of witness and testimony of Christian faith in the public place. And yet we have the power of the Almighty God on our side, and we have faith to believe that God can deliver and God can save and yet we allow the world to intimidate us and back us into a corner. We need to have faith that will overcome the obstacle of fear. Psalm 118 helps us to see that in Psalm 118 and verse uh, 6 of overcoming fear. And it says, uh, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. So if the Lord is on your side, what in the world do we have to be afraid of man? If God before us, who can stand against us? And so we need to overcome our fear of living the Christian life. We try to adapt to our society. We allow the world to kind of influence how we act, how we dress, how we look, what we, how we uh, conduct ourselves. We allow the world to intimidate us. And, and uh, it's amazing to me, people who aren't saved aren't embarrassed about being unsaved. People who live immoral, ungodly lives are not embarrassed about being immoral and ungodly. Then why is it we as Christians are worried about what the world thinks about us? We're fearful of their response to us when God has given us faith to believe to the saving of our soul. There's obstacles we need to overcome. One of the greatest obstacles, I believe, in the Christian life is this matter of fear. We need to overcome fear. Now, these men were not afraid of the crowd. They were not afraid of the opposition. They were not afraid of the responsibility. They were not afraid of the task and, and what it was going to require of them to get this man into the presence of Jesus Christ. They were willing to do everything and anything just to get him there to meet Jesus Christ. Are we willing to do anything just to get people in the presence of God. We need to overcome our fears. And so their faith enabled them to do that. We need to overcome the obstacle of not just fear, but of a carnal mind. 1 Corinthians is a good chapter in chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 through 16. Now a carnal mind is a fleshly mind. It's a mind that is consumed by the philosophies of this world. And we need to get over that, amen? We need to be spiritually minded. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, where, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so when we're talking about a spiritual response, we're talking about a power of God moving in somebody's life. It's not going to take place because of trying to fit in to the philosophy of the world. We need to have a biblical worldview. We need to be able to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. And then Paul goes on in verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. There is the problem right there. The difficulty that, that we must overcome, the obstacle we must overcome, is that in the natural aspect, in the flesh, in the carnal aspect of our minds, we cannot comprehend or receive the things of God. He says, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ." So if we're going to be able to have faith that impacts other people, there's obstacles we have to overcome just like these men had to overcome to get this fellow in the presence of Christ, that we need to overcome the carnality of our minds. We need to stop thinking like an unsaved person. We need to start thinking about somebody that's going to heaven. We need to stop thinking about doing things in the flesh and start thinking about the fact that God can send his Holy Spirit upon us and upon those we're testifying to, and God can be magnified through our faith, the belief that, wait a minute, we're not going to be carnally minded. We're going to be spiritually minded. And these are obstacle things. The flesh and the spirit are contrary one towards another. It's an obstacle we have to overcome. But yet we succumb to the carnality of our minds rather than submitting ourselves to the authority of Christ. And then we wonder why other people's lives are impacted through our faith. And so they need to, you need to be willing to overcome the obstacle of fear. You need to be willing to overcome the obstacle of a carnal mind. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, we need to overcome uh, ignorance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 33 and 34 says, oh, that's chapter 14. I'm going to get in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 33, be not deceived. In other words, don't be ignorant. We need to start thinking through the process here. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. See, the, the obstacle that plagues Christianity and us exercising our faith is we have allowed the communication of the world to corrupt our, our conduct. Evil communication corrupt good manners. And then verse 34, he says, awake to righteousness. So once again, there's an obstacle we need to come over, overcome. There's an obstacle we got to deal with. We're constantly being bombarded with evil communication. And so, listen, we need to wake to the righteousness and sin not, he says, for some have not the knowledge of God. 
I speak this to your shame. Oh, my goodness gracious. I read that verse this morning. I reread over that verse this morning. And I thought to myself, my goodness gracious, we need to overcome the obstacle of ignorance. The ignorance that we have to deal with is a lack of knowledge of who God is. Our God's still in control. He is still the master. He is still the king. He is still the Lord. He can still change people's lives. I believe that with all my heart. But the reason why people's lives are not being changed is because we have allowed the world to corrupt our thinking process to think that God is not all-powerful anymore. We need to overcome the obstacle of ignorance. We need to overcome, according to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, in verse 8, we need to come overcome worldly distractions. Colossians chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you. And that word spoil means to ensnare, to trap. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men and after rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now, now listen, there, there were those, I'm sure, that were telling these four men who were carrying the sick of the palsy, you can't get into the house. Do you realize how many people are there? there? You can't get in there by yourself. What makes you think you're going to be able to press through the crowd with this couch that he is on how do you think you're going to listen you need you need to just give up the idea of coming into the presence of Christ these men overcame those distractions by allowing themselves to be driven in faith to believe that if they could just get this man in the presence of Christ that Christ could make a difference in his life and so our faith impacts others our faith gives us a concern for others which drives us to be willing to overcome the obstacles that hinder us from living our christian life and being a testimony so their concern for others they were willing to overcome obstacles notice in our text they were willing to respond to special need in mark chapter 2 and verse 3 and it says they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. This man had special needs. This man could not walk. This man could not change his condition in life. Uh, this man could not uh, certainly bring himself into the presence of Christ. It required not just one individual to bring him there, but it required the cooperation of four people to get this one person in the presence of Christ. They were willing to respond to the special need that was in this man's life. Now listen, we come in contact with people every day that have special needs. Whatever the need is, uh, they may have a social background, that has hindered them of uh, having the opportunity to hear who Christ is. Uh, they, they may have uh, suffered some type of physical problems that has hindered them from having the ability to be in church. There are those who cannot drive or don't have the means of transporting themselves to church. It's a special need that needs to be met to get them in the presence of Christ. When we have faith that God can respond to, It'll enable us to be concerned for others and be willing to respond to whatever the need is in that person's life. And so we need to be willing to respond to the special need. <clears throat> Notice another thing here. Because of the concern for others, 
They were willing to go beyond the norm. In verse 4, it says, And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, uh, let down, uh, let, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. They went beyond the norm. The norm is you walk up and walk into the house. This is, you have to admit that this is way beyond the norm. And sometimes you have to get radical. Sometimes you have to do something that's different. Sometimes you need to think outside of the box. Sometimes you need to do something that is unique in order to get the gospel to people who need to hear about who Christ is. Uh, this, this matter of normalcy where we just, we, we establish what we think is normal and, uh, you know, the, the weather's got to be perfect. I'm looking across here. There's people not here this morning. Neither they did not set their alarm or they're afraid of a little bit of raindrops, one or the other. But, you know, the norm is it has to be a perfect temperature outside. And the sun has to be just coming up. Don't be too bright so it blinds me and I have to put on sunglasses. And when you come into church, there's people smiling to welcome me here. And, and everybody wants to talk to me and make me feel special. And so when I come in the church, I sit down and the preacher never offends me or never says anything that's wrong. And everything is just perfect. And I go home in my own perfect little world. That is not the norm. Most of what you see going on in the scriptures were radical changes that took place in people's lives that was out of the normal way of living. And so we need to go beyond the norm. I mean, sometimes you just got to get out there and do something that's unique and powerful that God is responding to your faith to believe that God can do something miraculous through you. And if we don't, we're just, you know, our faith is not powerful enough to show us that we're concerned for others. I like what John Hagee had to say. I don't agree with everything that he says, but I like what he said. He said, the measure of a man's greatness is not the number of servants he has, but the number of people he serves. And we think of these men that had this young, this fellow who was sick of the palsy, uh, they were serving him. They were not expecting him to do something for them. They were willing to invest their time and their efforts into serving this man to get him in the presence of Christ. And I think the difference that, uh, uh, that we make a difference in other people's lives is because of the fact we're willing to be concerned for others because our faith is strong, our faith is growing, and it's not about people serving me, it's about us serving them. You know, people don't have to come to church. You don't have to come hear what you, what you have to say, but if you have a heart for people, you have a concern for people because your faith has increased to understand that, listen, if somebody's not saved, they don't trust Christ as their Savior, I don't care who they are, they're going to die and go to hell. Amen. I'm going to tell you that concept, that understanding drives us, it motivates us to be concerned for others. We'll do whatever is necessary to serve others, to get them under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus responded to their faith. He saw their faith, and he healed this man. So their faith gave them concern for others. Number two, I see this. Their faith makes aware, a conscious awareness of sin. They were conscious of sin. Jesus was conscious of this man's sin. 
in uh, verse 5, it says, And Jesus saw their faith. He said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be, uh, be forgiven thee. It's an amazing statement because the, the response of Christ was not, you need physical power to be able to walk. The response of Christ was, you need your sins forgiven. And may I say, I don't care what whatever physical condition somebody may be in, the greatest need that they have is not financial difficulties. It is not physical healing. It is not emotional acceptance. It is an experience where they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the greatest need that they have. Here is Jesus looking at the faith of these men, and his response was an immediate to heal this man. His response was, thy sins be forgiven thee. Conscious of sin. Matthew Henry said this in his commentary on this passage of Scripture. He said this, Sin is the procuring cause of all pains and sickness. Now, he's not saying that God is judging you and whatever sickness you have is because of God's judgment coming on you because of your sins. You understand, though, what he is saying. He is saying because of Adam and Eve, sin in the Garden of Eden... That death that God warned Adam and Eve they would have to experience and that suffering that they would go through has passed down through the generations. So the reality is every pain and every sickness and uh, every disease that we face is ultimately the result of the sin of Adam and Eve. And the sad thing is many of our uh, sufferings that we go into ourselves are because of our own sinful conduct. Now, we don't like to talk about that. We don't want to acknowledge that. But the reality is this man's condition, he was sick of the palsy, was a direct uh, experience that was birthed out of the sinfulness of Adam and Eve. And now he's centuries later, he's experiencing that. And the response of Jesus was, thy sins be forgiven thee. So sin is the procuring cause of all pains and sickness. Number two, Matthew Henry said this, God doth then graciously take away the sting and malignity of sickness when he forgives sins. Now listen, uh, whether Christ would heal this man or he wouldn't heal this man, you understand this man who could not walk because his sins forgiven would one day walk down the streets of gold. And so the reality is this, that when Jesus forgave him his sins, he removed the sting of sickness in this man's life because he'd be able to be in the presence of God where there is no more suffering, there is no more disease, there is no more sorrow, there is no need for healing because there's a perfect healing of God in the presence of the Lord in heaven. And so Jesus, by forgiving his sins, removes the sting of sickness. Now listen, people are sick. They're sick in their minds. They're sick in their bodies. They're depraved in their conduct. And the only thing that can remove the stench and the sting and the malignity of sin and disease in a person's life is the forgiveness of God. And they need to hear that God loves them and God can forgive them. And this man's sins were forgiven because Jesus saw the faith of his friends. So let's look at this. Notice 
the conscience of sin is there's a, it's illustrated by bondage. Certainly this man that is on this stretcher is in bondage. He cannot get up and walk around. He cannot move around on his own. And so in Galatians chapter 4, Paul helps us to understand this matter of dealing with uh, bondage because of sin. In chapter 4 and verse uh, 1, Galatians says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Let's not forget that. Without Christ in our sin, we're in bondage. So I don't understand people who get saved and they think that it's okay to live in the world. Do everything that the world has to say. Do you understand? Everything that the world is is bondage. He goes on to say in verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So you're not a son of God until you're adopted into the family of God. Because, and because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's why in chapter 5 of Galatians in verse 1, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus is aware of our sinful conditions. He was aware of the sinful condition of this man. It was illustrated by the physical binding that he had in his body. He could not walk. He could not move. But hallelujah, Jesus Christ forgave him to illustrate that the Son of God has power not just to forgive sins, but heal the physical condition of man. And so he uses this illustration to help us to understand that uh, sin binds us. This man was bound, and sin always binds us. I don't care whether you're saved and you sin or whether you're unsaved living in sin, you're living a life of bondage. So it's illustrated by bondage. Notice it's demonstrated by a lack of control. This man that was on the stretcher, on the bed that was carried about by his men, by the men, his friends. <clears throat> Listen, he was out of control. He had no control. You know, if I sit down on this chair, I sit down on this chair. It's a, it's a controlled action. When I decide to get up, hopefully I can. Amen. <laughs> when I decide to get up, that's under my control. But this man laying on that cot had no control. See, not only does sin bind us up, but it causes us to lose control. When I was an alcoholic, I had no control. I tried to stop drinking all the time. I couldn't stop drinking because I had no control. But hallelujah, when Christ saved me and the Spirit of God came in, he took control. And he delivered me from that filthy attitude and that filthy lifestyle. And so he's telling us, wait a minute, this man that's on this cot, he's not only in bondage, he has no control over his life. And people without Christ are out of control. 
and they need to come under the authority of Christ so he can set them free from bondage and they can start living a life of choice and surrendering to the Son of God. Well, in Romans chapter 7, Paul describes this condition. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 Romans 7, 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. You always like how people try to spiritualize uh, their actions and their conduct that's contrary to the Bible. Wait a minute, God's law is spiritual. We live outside of the law. We're not spiritual, we're carnal. Then he goes on in Romans 7, verse 15, For that which I do... I allow not, for what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He said, you have to realize that conscious of sin is awareness that you're out of control. And so we have to come under the authority of Christ to be once again in control. Well, there was a rejected, this matter of their, the sin was rejecting the, and through unbelief. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 3 that the uh, children of Israel that came out of Egypt that did not make it into the promised land uh, did not get into the promised land because of their unbelief. And listen, this man on the couch may not have faith To believe the Bible doesn't say anything about his faith. But it sure does say a lot about the faith of the men who loved him and cared for him. And because of the faith of those men, Jesus says to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So there's a concern. Their faith gave them a concern for others. Their faith gave them a conscious awareness of sin. And then their faith brought complete healing in this man's life complete healing. Notice God's not hindered by man's unbelief. In verse 8 of our text says, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? They did not believe Christ. They did not believe he had the power to forgive sins on this earth. But let me say this, man may disbelieve, but that doesn't stop God from doing what he wants to do. And I'm amazed that when Thomas, when Jesus arose out of the grave, Thomas said, except I see the wound in his side, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, he said, I'll not believe. But I'm going to tell you, the unbelief of Thomas did not stop Jesus from showing up. Amen. And man may say, I don't believe in God. I don't trust in God. That may be okay for you, but God can't move anymore because I discredit everything that God is. Wait a minute. God's not controlled. God's not hindered by the unbelief of man. And they disbelieved who Christ was. They literally rebuked Christ for what he did. They say that he's blaspheming God because of what he did, but he still healed the man. Their unbelief could not stop the move of God. So God is not hindered by man's unbelief. God is more interested in the spiritual. In our text in Mark chapter 2 and verse 9, Jesus responding here, he says, Whether it is easier to say to the sick of palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. 
Jesus was more interested in the spiritual aspect of this man than he was the physical aspect. Oftentimes, people have had people over the years say, well, if God's all-powerful and God heals, how come God didn't heal so-and-so? Because God's more interested in their spiritual condition than he is in their physical condition. Their physical condition's not going to hinder their relationship with God. Their physical condition's not going to hinder their ability to go to heaven. Their spiritual condition will. And in this situation, Jesus is telling them, wait a minute, what's easier to say, rise up and walk, or thy sins will be forgiven, that's telling me that Christ is more interested in the spiritual condition of this man than he was in his physical condition. Because the reality is, Jesus can heal anybody at the spoken word of healing, but man in his spirit can reject Christ as his Savior. And Jesus is more concerned about his spiritual condition. When the disciples came back and saw Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and they were questioning whether Jesus had eaten something or why he wasn't eating, Jesus said, I have meat to eat of that thou knowest not. And God wants to do something miraculously spiritual in our lives, more so than physical. So God is not hindered by man's unbelief. God is more interested in the spiritual. God is willing to reveal his power, however, in the physical. In verse 10, he says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. He said, Well, you want to see something physical? You think I don't have power to forgive sins on the earth? I'm going to show you how much power I have. Rise up, take up thy bed, and go home. He did it as a demonstration that he has not only power over the physical aspect of man, but he has the power to forgive man of all of his sins. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power, not some power, all power. And so he is willing to reveal his power in the physical. And then God forgives immediately. It says in verse 12, and it says, immediately he rose. You know, these people who talk about a progressive salvation. Either you're saved or you're not. And all I got to say, honey, if you got saved, you got saved immediately. There's not anything you got to do. And there's not anything you've got to add to it. There's not anything that you got to proceed through in order to be saved. Either you're saved or you're not saved. And when he said, rise up, take thy bed and go thy way into thine house, immediately he got up. I'm thankful for the fact that God does save our souls Immediately, uh, it's amazing to think that the man that was filled with leprosy in Matthew 8 and 3, Jesus uh, put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. And the man said, Jesus said, Be thou clean. And immediately it says, The leprosy was clean. And so he released him from death. You understand, being a leper was a death sentence, they had no healing for leprosy. But Jesus Christ, when he touched him, he was healed immediately, and so he was released from the power of death in his life. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. So immediately, not only does Christ release us from death, but he removes us from darkness. 
You know, Paul said, if our gospel we hid, it's hid to those in whom the God of this world has blinded the eyes unless they should receive the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. When you get saved, immediately you have life that is eternal. Immediately you're removed from darkness and you walk into the light of Christ. Mark chapter 1 and verse 31 says, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. This is Peter's wife. And it says, and immediately the fever left her. And uh, I just, I put down this. Not only are we released from death and removed from darkness, but we're prepared for service. Amen. I like it. I mean, when she rose up, Peter's mother-in-law, I mean, when she rose up, I mean, to tell you one thing, she rose up for the purpose of serving. And God sets us free. He saves us and delivers us to be able to serve him. And then in Luke 23, 43, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He gives us eternal life. Because when God forgives, he forgives immediately. And I'm not trying to gain eternal life. I have eternal life. I'm not trying to get something greater in eternal life because the greatest thing I'm going to have in eternal life is the presence of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to know that God meets with us and moves upon us. And he, listen, he'll respond to our faith in affecting others around us. You know, Paul talks about Timothy's mother and grandmother. Their faith impacted Timothy's life. Who are you impacting because of faith? How strong is your faith in trying to influence others and speak to others to bring them to Christ? I'm just seeing in this passage a person who had no control, no ability, no opportunity to be able to be the presence of Christ. And four men took it upon themselves to have faith to believe that they could get this man in the presence of Christ and would make a difference. How much faith do you have to determine to get somebody into the presence of Christ? Who'd you talk to this past week about the Lord? What opportunities did you grab a hold of this past week to show what real love is? Real love is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And we need to have faith to believe that he is. He embodies everything that is love. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He embodies everything about love. People are longing to be loved today. Can we at least have the faith to tell them how to experience the love of God? You say, well, I don't know if it'll make much difference. Yes, it will. This, these four men made a difference in one person's life. And bless God, if it takes four of us just to get one saved, hallelujah, that's one more saved, amen? And so let's have faith to believe God for mighty things. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. I'm thankful for these men who had faith to believe to the point that it changed their lives so that they could impact one person. And that man was saved. He was physically healed. But I think beyond that, Lord, the name of Christ was exonerated and lifted up and praised. And so, Lord, help us have faith to believe, not just to be saved, but faith to live our lives in a way we're bringing others to Christ. 
speak to us in a special way in this invitation, or maybe somebody needs to be saved today, I pray they would come and give us the opportunity to show them the love of God. They might be able to leave here knowing they're going to heaven. Bless us in this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's